Hey everyone, and welcome to episode seven of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Uh, today, I'm excited to have fantasy author Gareth Ryder Hanrahan on the podcast. He's the author of the Black Iron Legacy series from Orbit Books. Uh, book one, The Gutter Prayer, was released earlier this year and is only just the beginning of what I expect to be a profound series of expansive world building, intriguing magic, and imaginative characters. Book two, The Shadow Saint, hits store shelves on January 7th of 2020 and is actually one of the highest books currently on my TBR. But in the meantime, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Gareth Ryder Hanrahan. Hello. Hey, how are we doing today? Not too bad. Sort of in that sort of odd Christmas New Year gap where everything is sort of strange and fuzzy. Yeah, right. It, it, it's always it's always weird because, uh, you know, you have this giant lead up to Christmas and then you kind of just fall off for like five days. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I think, the, no, go ahead. The, the, nowhere, the nowhere time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think yeah. we, were talk, we were talking earlier, said you're, uh, you're in between houses. Is that right? Yeah, we're doing this elaborate thing where we're knocking down our current house, building a new one, which we will be out for a year or two. And it's all been a lot of logistics and confusion, and not especially conducive to writing. So it's been like <laughs> scribbling in the margins. Right, right. Um, well, cool. Uh, did y'all have a good uh, holiday? Did y'all, uh, were y'all able to celebrate it, I guess, uh, you know, in between homes? Oh, yeah. We went down to my in-law's place, and the kids opened up their giant piles of presents and ran around and screamed and didn't fall in the ocean, so yay. There you go, there you go. Now tell me, where, uh, where are you currently uh, residing? Uh, I am currently residing in Cork, Ireland. Okay. So if my accent is impenetrable, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, think I, uh, I thought I remember when we were kind of getting this set up about that, that you were in Ireland and we were on about a seven-hour time difference. So uh, I know, uh, and we actually got this set up pretty quickly like it was like right before christmas and then boom let's let's get it done right after christmas so um i'm glad we were able to get this set up and, and get, get a chance to chat with each other um well uh just kind of first off uh tell me a little bit about yourself growing up uh through school uh kind of how you got into writing uh and kind of like what you did outside i guess of school like any hobbies and so forth that you had no, I mean, I, I, I'm alarmingly one note in some ways. Um, my mother introduced me to Lord of the Rings low these many, many years ago, so I sort of got into fantasy through that. And then uh, one day the, the local library was doing Lord of the Rings uh, or like Tolkien Week, and as part of that they were doing a session of uh, the old Middle-earth role-playing game. So I got into role-playing through that, and then role-playing was my major hobby in... Um, secondary school, like the equivalent of high school. Mm -hmm. And then I went to college. I was involved in the game society there doing writing for their convention. So I got into writing that way as in writing stuff for role-playing games. And then I spent a brief period being a not very good computer programmer. And when that got downsized, um, I thought I'd try freelancing for a bit and proceeded to accidentally freelance for the next... 17 years writing role-playing games. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was all very unplanned, but it's turned out quite well. Yeah. And yeah, and then I sort of um, wrote a novel and it got published. So yay me. There you go, right? <laughs> uh, so, so tell me a little bit about your background in game design. Yeah. Um, I've worked I, I, through the last of the sort of the turn your hand to anything freelancers. Um. 
I started off basically freelancing for various companies back in the early days of the D20 boom. Um, for those who are familiar with uh, the role-playing industry as it was, um, back in around 2000, the third edition of Dungeons & Dragons came out. And that had what was called the open gaming license, which meant that other companies could do supplements for it. So there was this sudden huge explosion of basically open source dungeon-esque stuff. And there were loads of companies hiring stuff. And I wrote lots and lots of, of fantasy material for them. And through that, I ended up getting like a, a series of like uh, long-term freelancing jobs for various companies. And now I've ended up at Pelbane Press doing stuff for them. Okay. Yeah, I thought I saw uh, kind of when I was going through, I guess, some of your older work before, um, obviously, the gutter prayer was announced uh, and so forth. Yeah. And I saw that you had written like some gaming like rule books and uh, I guess like manuals. And I saw the I think like one of your bigger things was uh, called The Laundry, which was based on the Laundry Files novels. Yeah, basically, the first couple I was working for Mongoose did mainly, right, when I was working for them, did mainly licensed games and D20 stuff. So I wrote like the Babylon 5, or involved with the Babylon 5 role-playing game and stuff for Hawkmoon and things and Conan. And then it was with Cubicle 7, who did The Laundry, which is based on the Charles Stross novels. Mm-hmm. And then it was doing stuff on Doctor Who. And then they had the Lord of the Rings license, so it was doing lots of stuff for The One Ring, um, which was a huge honor and a massive creative thing for me. Right, and then Pelican Press mostly do original stuff. Um, my big projects there have been in Thirteenth Age, which is another D and fantasy game, and various uh, investigative games that do like stuff based on H.P. Lovecraft, the uh, Trail of Cthulhu. And my really big project in the last couple of years was a thing called the Dracula Dossier for the United Black Agents game, okay. where we t- took the novel Dracula and turned it into a supplement for a role playing game. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, I guess you could turn anything into a role-playing game, right? <laughs> you can, but Dracula proved remarkably fruitful. Yeah. So we, we, the gimmick was, we took the novel, we said that it wasn't a novel, that it was actually a uh, highly classified report, which we put out as disinformation. So we expanded the novel, adding in stuff that Bram Stoker took out and adding our own stuff, and added loads of marginal, marginal notes from three generations of MI6 analysts. And the gimmick is you're given this supplement at the start of the campaign as your characters get this physical copy of Dracula with all these notes in it. And you can follow any of the notes or clues we seeded into it as part of your hunt for Dracula. Huh. That actually sounds really intriguing. It, it turned out very, very well. I'm so proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll get back to it later, but I, I, I did notice your... Uh, you kind of—I wouldn't call it a live tweet, but how you kind of started a uh, a nice session on Twitter uh, about an RPG, kind of in uh, in the beginnings of the Shadow Saint marketing. Uh, yes, yeah, we, I did a, a, a one day. It was supposed to be one day, it ended up being like three day. Um, sort of choose your own adventure thing on Twitter. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But, but, but like t- turning stuff into turning basically fiction into role playing games has been my bread and butter job for a long time. So that's. Very much in my wheelhouse. Um, like with the um, review copies of Shadows that we sent out, we also did sort of short little sample role playing games up in the world as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm a little jealous because I think like most of like the UK reviewers have gotten those, and well, like we in the US, I think so far we've just we've just got ebooks uh, so far. But 
man, I'm, I'm kind of like crossing my fingers that like maybe something came across the pond. But, uh, oh, so I, I, I think it's going to go with American ones as well, but I, I won't swear to that. Yeah. But I, I hope at some point to put it up for free, a free download. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, tell me, so, uh, so obviously kind of the role-playing stuff got you, I guess, into, into writing more of like a mainstream series. Um, do you, do you intend to write full-time, uh, like a, as an actual like novel, uh, author, or do you see more of yourself still continue to do the role-playing and then kind of writing novels on the side? I mean, I know, well, it's, I know it's kind of early, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's also the whole like you know, don't quit your day, your day job thing, right? No, I mean, the great thing about um, actually having a, a novel series published for me is that I can now move writing time from role playing stuff to fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the 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 downside, of course, is that like you know, it's yet another hobby has become a day job, so it's uh, <laughs> trying to like you. Know, churn out sufficient words to satisfy, satisfy both markets is challenging. Right. I, I can imagine. I can yeah. imagine. Um, um, so, so obviously, obviously you, you, you still do stuff outside of writing. Um, so, so are you still kind of like, I guess in the gaming world, um, not necessarily doing design, but still just writing for RPGs or yeah, do you do, I, do you do anything extra on, on top of that? Honestly, at the moment, between like you know, writing for role play games and writing novels, and having small children who may be audible in the background, that pretty much fills twenty seven or twenty eight hours of the day. I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I know exactly how you feel. I'll, I'll be I'll be in that in that boat in about six months. We're we're expecting in June, so uh, I, I'll get to start feeling that whole. Yeah, I've got a I've got a full time job, and I also write, and I also do this. Oh, and I also have a child that I have to make sure is alive on a daily basis. <laughs> the one piece of advice I've given to anyone who's expecting a child is a book called The Baby Owner's Manual. Uh-huh. Um, you, there are like many many parenting books out there. This one is completely devoid of emotion. It treats the child basically in the same tones it, you'd get a, like read a printer manual or something like you know. Child is screaming. It's an error message. Here are the three or four possible ways to resolve the error message. <laughs> and it's exactly what you want because when you're like insanely sleep deprived and it's three in the morning and you don't know why the child is crying and you're panicking, having this book that basically says, here are likely reasons. If it's none of these reasons, go to the doctor, but try these ones first. It's just very reassuring. It's, it, it treats you as being utterly braided, which you are at that point. And treats the child as this troublesome peripheral, which it is at that point, because for the first six months they're basically food tubes. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually looking at it right now. I'm seeing the cover. It says the baby owner's manual, operating instructions, troubleshooting tips, and advice on first year maintenance. It is really reassuring. That is especially amazing. For, I think for fathers. Oh my gosh! All right, I'm going to go ahead and add that to my Amazon wish list. I definitely uh, need to look into that because uh, I mean, obviously, being a reader, it's perfect. But just the fact that it seems very humorous, just based on the cover. And the fact that you're you're pushing it, so got anybody who's listening that has kids or are expecting kids, this may be on your list coming soon. So, yeah, oh, it, 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 it got me through the first year with twins, so oh, as, as good as, as good a endorsement as I can give. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so we're only expecting one, so well, you, you got us beat on that one, but uh, I can imagine even even one is quite a handful. So, yeah, well, tw- tw- twins are weird. The sort of a graph. Like at the start, they're, they're they're like more than twice as hard as one because 
Like you only have so many hands. Right. But they, they sort of slope down, and at a certain point, they should get easier than one because they'll play with each other. But that's like you know, far, far in your future. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of those things where we're like, okay, we're going to go and have one, but we know we have to have a second one within like a couple of years. <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it's one of those things you always have in the back of your mind is like, man, just what happens if we end up having twins or more? Because you just kind of see it's like more common now because you see all these shows pulling up with kids, you know, people having five and six kids at the time. And I'm yeah. like, I can't imagine all the time you're just aside for that. Well, a friend of mine with a role-playing freelancer, Matt Forbeck, uh, famously had quads, but at this point, like, you know, 60 or 70 years ago. And the staggering ability of the man to basically support, like, at that point, five kids on freelance game writing is just a testament to his <laughs> talent and determination. Right. That is uh, that is impressive. <laughs> and you mean you know you always everybody always tells you you're never ready for kids you're never going to have enough money and all this other stuff but somehow everybody tends to get by somehow yeah. some way and you know they're always better for it so oh yeah gosh. <laughs> there, there's there, there's never a good time there's never a right time it's right it's just one of these things that happens right exactly you, you know you, you can plan for it all you want to but yeah. something's always gonna you know come out of left field so um, well, cool. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of get back. Well, I mean, Graham, we we're still talking about a book, but we'll get back to books. Um, so, so we kind of got into how you got started writing, uh, but who influenced you or do you have influences? I mean, obviously we talked a little bit about, you know, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. Do you have anybody uh, that you read growing up that you're like, oh my gosh, I want to be like this person or I want to write fantasy because of this person or anything like that? I thought I... There are very few that I would sort of say like, you know, that this one person was a huge influence. Mm-hmm. There are certainly a bunch of writers who I will like, you know, either who really resonate in terms of the stuff they were doing mm-hmm. or the path they took. Um, like, you know, China Evil, I remember basically frantically seeking out the early Baslag books. Um, uh, Robert Holstock, who did Mythical Wood, um, fantastic series. Um, there are a bunch of authors like I've done um, games based on, so like, like Charlie Sauce's Laundry Stuff or Robert Hart's Conan, um, where I would like sort of learn to get really, really deep into a book and sort of, sort of, like, sort of see it from the inside. Because um, to like an app, something you need to read it over and over again and work out how, how it works structurally as, as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, who else has been, like, I went through a, a huge, um, Dune phase with, um, Frank Herbert for a while. Um, while we the gutter prayer, twice I stopped once when I first read, um, Max Gladstone, a uh, second time when I first read, uh, Robert Bennett basically going, oh, booger, they've written, <laughs> these guys have written the book I want I wanted to write. <laughs> Start for about a week each time going, no, is, is there a point continuing? <laughs> I just said, yeah, <laughs> I'll keep plugging ahead. Um, and then the other side, like, just uh, history books as well. Like, I, I read a lot of like sort of, like, you know, ra- random books on history uh, without any like, you know, sort of great training or knowledge in it, but it's nice to sort of, like, grab little bits out and Put pieces together. 
Okay. Yeah, and when you brought up Robert Jackson, man, I mean, I, I've read Foundry's Side, uh, and and I can see, I mean, just tiny similarities, though. I mean, your book is completely different. <laughs> I think Foundry's Side came out after Good Repair was all done and dusted. And okay. Did give me, did, did give me a you're right. Part. You are right. It, it, did, it did come out. Yeah, you're right. Are you talking about the, um, I guess, like City of the Stairs? Yeah, City of the Stairs. Oh, okay, okay. That was what I read that went sort of, oh, wow, this is me. It's not that the story is really close, but the feel of the world, the sort of things sort of like you're know, taking divinities and looking to see how strange it would be to actually live in a world with active gods and the aftermath of active gods was a similar feel. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, you're right. I, I completely forget. Yeah, Foundryside was out, uh, I guess, like three or four months after Gutter Prayer. So yeah, you're right. It was, yeah, I, and I haven't read. Foundryside was actually out about a month before. A month or two before going to prayer because we were reading going, oh, bugger. Man, what? Are, are these two close? I'm getting my time. You can tell how many books I read by like how bad my timing is. <laughs> I mean, I am obviously going to pay a lot more attention to the precise circumstances of my book's launch than anyone else's. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I feel like every author is kind of like that too. So you're like, all right, what's coming out around me? What, what's my competition? Uh, Wait, it, just, just loop back. It, it, it's like children. Like, you know, you will obsessively care about your own child's like milestones and how they're getting on and everything. And only you be, be vaguely aware of other people's kids, but only in the way they interact with yours. Right, exactly. <laughs> and books are quite similar in many, many ways. I can well, admit, you know, some people, you know, when you see uh, see debut authors like unboxing their first box of books, you know, their arcs or their their actual physical copies, you know, they sit there and kind of hug them like they're their children, and they take yeah. pictures with them, and you know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen many put them in bassinets yet, but I I can only imagine that's going to happen pretty soon. I I would assume they do it privately because <laughs> <laughs> they they take the pictures, they just don't post them online, right? Exactly. Yeah. Friends only. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, the, the other thing I would actually think about is that with both kids and books, once they're out in the world, you don't really own them yourself anymore. You you can't control the response to them, mm-hmm. but you still feel very protective of them. Yeah, it's like, it's like sending your kids off to, to college or university, right? You, the you, you you try to do everything you can to to help them and and promote their well being, but you're kind of in the background at that point. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm now just thinking of the horrible situation of a website called Good Kids, which is basically Goodreads for kids, where you can rate and review other people's children and the flame wars that would ensue. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> do, does everybody, do you just leave everything anonymously? Uh, it would be disastrous oh my and gosh. hilarious. Yeah, anyway, we, 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 we are once again drifting far from the topic. There's nothing wrong with that. Why not? You know, it, it, it's always good to, to add some humor yeah. into it. I mean, you know, obviously Indeed. people want to know about the books, but, you know, yeah. I digress. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so, okay, so we'll, we'll get back to books. We'll get, we'll get, we'll deep dive now. So, um, I've read The Gutter Prayer. Obviously, it's been a little while since I read it. So, uh, you kindly sent me uh, a little bit of a refresher uh, from your WordPress website, uh, which, I, which I went through last night. And I was like, oh, yeah, all this did happen because there's a lot that happens in that book. I mean, it's, you know... 512 pages, give or take, depending on what you read it on, uh, you know, hardback, paperback, whatever. Yeah. But, like, there is a lot of stuff that goes on. Granted, you're mainly following three main characters uh, in this, what seems like an ever-expansive city. Uh, and, you know, right from the get-go, you've got this tower that, it, you know, basically 
explodes and your, your characters are kind of separated from one another and they just go off on separate adventures that all kind of culminate towards the end. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about the gutter prayer first. Uh, granted, I know it's been out for almost a year now, but there you know, are still people that are finding out about the Witcher and Lord of the Rings and <laughs> all this kind of stuff nowadays. And you've got kids that, you know, will be coming, you know, in into their own and reading, uh, mm-hmm. you know, soon. So tell us a little bit about the Gutter Prayer, uh, your your debut novel with Orbit. Okay, um, it's the story of these three thieves in this fantastical sort of alchemical industrial city. Um, there's Carrie, who is a sneak thief, who after the events of the first chapter develops this strange talent for basically having these semi-prophetic. Um, uh, visions where she sees things happen that's happening across the city. Mm-hmm. There's Spar, who's a stone man. He's got this disease that's slowly turning into stone. And he's the son of the former head of the Thieves Guild. And is basically sort of caught between like you know, giving into a disease and trying to reclaim his former station. And there's a pal rat who's a ghoul who eats corpses. Um and as I said, they get separated early on in the novel and go off in their merry ways and run into multiple uh, plots to seize control slash blow up slash do sundry occult things in the city, all of which intertwine in a relatively complicated plot. Um, and we bounce between their, their three points of views and a couple of more minor characters like um, Carrie's cousin or... Um, this uh, <clears throat> warrior Saint Alina, or this uh, detective esque figure Jeer, uh, who's working for the main opposition politician city, and um, yeah, it, it all intertwines and comes together in a somewhat apocalyptic ending, and that leads into book two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and uh, it was a fantastic debut. I mean, I, I've read. I think I've read about 170 books this year, uh, give or take. Uh, and But that one, I always kind of come back to it thinking about it uh, just because it's it's very original. It, it's an original city. The characters are, are, are very original in themselves. And just the fact that there's just always something going on, but you can follow along with it because your characters are interacting with other characters who end up forming relationships with even more characters after that. And, and it, it feels so massive, but at the same time, kind of claustrophobic uh, because it's all happening within, you know, a city. But you've also got the underground, uh, which is where Rat tends to spend most of his time <laughs> throughout the novel. Um, yep. And and then, you know, not to spoil anything, but at the end, you know, you get this kind of chaotic moment that really boosts you know, going into the second novel. Um, yeah. I, I, I love doing stuff in cities, in both, both, both fiction and role, and role-playing games, because like, everyone is there on top of each other. Like, I'm working, I'm working on book three in the series at the moment, and in book three, the characters are much more separated that carries off on this long journey to the south and so forth. And what I keep bouncing up against is the fact that, they, 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 you know, that there's no chance for her to randomly bump into one of the other point of view characters because they're separated by hundreds and thousands of miles. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nice that just every, everyone is packed into this very tight geographical area and you get all sorts of interesting interactions. Like, it's like a pressure cooker. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, what were, uh, it's what were the, uh, let me rephrase that. How did you come up with the characters of Carrie and Rat and Spar? I mean, they're all completely different from one another. Uh, I mean, you don't see many novels that have a goal being a main character. I mean, you see them as secondary characters in video games like Fallout. I mean, they're not even a secondary character. They're like, you know, fifth yeah, or sixth they're, they're, down the they're line. Bad guys, they're the books. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got Spar, who's a stone man. Uh, what were, I guess, the, in, the inspirations for those characters? There you go. Well, I mean, well, it's the fir- well the Gutter Prayer was the first novel I like actually finished. I had started a bunch of other ones. Mm-hmm. And I kept making the same mistake. In a role-playing game, you like you see, the GM will write the adventure, and the players will come up with their player characters, and they will be the the, the, the protagonists of the story, the, 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 the driving force. They like you know they get the plot hook, they follow the plot hook, they make the, the decisions. And because I'm so used to writing in that format, that when I tried to switch over to doing fiction, I was basically un, mostly unconsciously um, making the mistake where basically I would come up with this elaborate plot. And not really a protagonist, because I was used to basically having these writing st- stories where I would expect a unknown protagonist, as in the player character, to come in and do the interesting things. So a lot of my initial attempts at protagonists were very, very, very um, placid and slow to react. Mm-hmm. So when I started with the gutter prayer, I basically went, okay, my main character would be someone who was very, very impulsive, who will jump at the slightest plot hook and will basically run around and blow things up and like throw a lot of cocktails, which is where Carrie came from. Mm-hmm. Um, basically a character who basically <laughs> just do stuff. Right. Even, even when doing stuff was absolutely not the right thing to do for her. And Spar was partly written as a reaction to that. Because if you have a character who is very impulsive and fast moving and saying like, you we have to act now, then the obvious foil is someone who's a lot more considered and patient and slow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, slow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and actually, just as I was writing the novel, it was just after I'd uh, blown a disc in my back. So I was like, you know, in quite a lot of physical pain and was having like, you know, not, not trouble walking, but like, you know, walking was very, very sore. I have to think about how I was bending and moving and, like you're interacting with the world where a lot of the disease stuff came from. It sort of took my own situation and exaggerated it a hundredfold. Right. And, um, and then rat, I, I just like, I like ghouls. I, I, I've done a lot of like stuff with Lovecraft derived stuff. And I find underground spaces fascinating. So I went, well, I, I'll put one of these guys in as, as, as a main character and see where it goes. Because when I originally started the writing the novel, I had no idea where it was going. I wrote the first 20,000 words or so pretty much blind. And then sort of sat down and went, right, what the hell is all this about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, fantastic. So uh, to kind of continue talking about the gutter prayer, uh, would you mind talking a little bit about some of the creatures that you created? Like I know uh, one is called the crawling one, which is like a worm sorcerer. Uh, who feeds on memories of the dead. And then you've also got uh, these kind of like, I guess you could almost call them like policemen called talumen uh, that uh, are, are made out of wax. I mean, it, things that I've never seen before, but were just so intriguing uh, when reading the novel. 
Yeah, the, the crawling ones I actually lifted straight out of Lovecraft. They're mentioned a few times aside. Like there's this um, bit in oh, is the festival where he basically talks about like you know buried sorcerers like fat and instruct the very worm that gnaws and happy is the town whose wizards are all, are all ashes. Um, but they mentioned in an aside, and I basically went, yep, yeah, cool, they're going in. <laughs> um, and so I almost put basically because I had the ghouls and the sorcerers or the, and the, and the crawling ones both be involved in sort of corpse eating and feeding off the dead, mm-hmm. um, necrophagy became a bigger part of the book where we basically have um, various different creatures being psychopomps and they're, they're sort of carrying the parts of the soul trapped in the corpses off to the gods or consuming it themselves, um, which is where the Ravelers came from once I finally worked out what I was doing with them. Uh, the Ravelers are these sort of shape-shifting, face-stealing monsters in the book. And when I originally I wrote the first 20,000 words or so, which introduces the Ravelers, but I, when I first wrote them, I had no idea what they were or what they were doing. I basically had this, like, you know, Bishop Carey sees a vision of this priest getting eaten by the shape-shifting monster and I went I don't know what's going on but apparently it's a raveler <laughs> and then about, about 100 pages later I worked out okay that's how this all fits together that's the sort of the the underlying cosmology <laughs> I gotcha uh, so tell me also so uh, obviously you've got all these uh, characters and creatures in the city underground but then we've also got this whole surrounding aura of uh, these gods called the kept gods, and then you've also got the black iron gods, uh, who which the 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 fate of the black iron gods is just a enduring historical mystery. Uh, but we know that they're encased in these bells. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about both of those? I guess starting with the kept gods and moving on. Well, it, it, in both cases, what I wanted, I mean, a creep, something you can talk to and negotiate with is always much less scary than something that is not uncommunicable, but something that's very distant and and unknowable. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, in the book, the gods are more like sort of malign physics than anything else. It's not, it's not like, you know, that the, a god wants, wants to kill you per se. It's more that the nature of the god is to destroy things like you and it's pretty much like you just a mindless working out of that impulse um i i I like the idea of basically the gods being so both very very different humanity but sort of intimately bound up in them Mm -hmm. that to me is a far more disturbing relationship with deities than them being sort of like these like sort of like, sort of like super powerful creatures up in the sky um with like you know agendas and ideas of their own if they if they are basically mostly mindless forces like you know sort of like you know, e- evil gravity basically <laughs> <laughs> and they kept gods basically just an extension idea like if gods are connected to humanity but largely um Blind and mindless, and just like act, like forces acting as opposed to being individuals with desires and impulses of their own. Then what you what you would reasonably do 
if you were living in such a universe, is try to work out a way to basically contain and channel these gods into relatively safe situations. Um, so they kept gods are basically kept uh, weak and relatively powerless and relatively stable, so they're not causing havoc and warping reality. Um, so basically, you have this religion which where, where their main impulse is basically keeping keeping the gods in check and ensuring that no one upsets them too much. Right, right. Um, and w- one of the other big gimmicks is that gods can't be killed except by another god. So if you do, do like throw down a rival religion, you have to work out what to do with their deities. Mm. And the two options in the book are uh, what to do with the, kept, with the Black Iron Gods, which was basically cap- trapped them because they were basically semi-material. So basically they took these giant statues, which were the sort of the physical manifestations of the gods, which were anchors in the world, and turned them to bells, which basically messed up the gods because they they were reliant on those physical structures. So basically all physical structures into another shape, i.e. bells, messed up how the gods behaved as well, sort of freezing them. Uh, or as you see, as we see in other novels, the option is basically just sort of keep killing the god over and over and over until it sort of decays into a, a god husk, which is sort of like you know, this even more mindless, even more useless form of the deity. Sort of, sort of ghost of a god. I gotcha. Uh, well, cool. Well, uh, obviously, we want everybody to read the gutter prayer. Uh, we don't want to spoil everything for them uh like i said it, it's a fantastic novel uh my buddy patrick lee over at novel notions actually called it his uh favorite debut of 2019 and uh we put a lot of uh of worth into whatever patrick says because he's he's probably like the best reviewer out there at least uh, i kind of put him up on a pedestal so um and he actually has already finished the shadow saint and he also said it successfully met his high expectations with so much energy so i'm i'm very much looking forward to the shadow saint uh, but obviously we want everybody to go ahead and start with book one before they get into it. But if you just can't wait and you got to read book two, um, Gareth does have a WordPress website that's got a refresher mm-hmm. on the gutter prayer. Pretty much goes from A to Z and gets you set up for book two. Um, yeah, I mean, but, book two itself, it's not standalone. And you would I would recommend reading book one first. But uh, the story is mostly self-contained, so you could theoretically read book two on its own. Maybe I don't know. It's 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 hard to. I tried to basically have enough stuff in there to onboard people who haven't read book one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I would love to hear from anyone who's only read book two and see if it made any sense whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be that'd be pretty impressive, right? Yeah. Um, well, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about Shadow Saint. We'll go ahead and jump in. So obviously, yeah. uh, it comes out relatively fast. It comes out on January seventh. Uh, out in, uh, I believe, in ebook and paperback. I know uh, you've got a special edition hardcover over in the UK, which is gorgeous with those red sprayed edges. Um, Indeed, goes through books. I know, but uh, uh, obviously another fantastic cover by Richard Anderson. Uh, I, there are not that many phenomenal cover artists out there. He's definitely one of them. Uh, I mean, there's 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 a few that are kind of mainstays in fantasy, uh, especially with Orbit books. Um, yeah, but. You know, the gutter prayer was gorgeous, but man, the shadow saint, I think, tops it. It's gorgeous. He was very, very accommodating because I sent him my art notes, and cover shows this part of um, setting called the new city, mm-hmm. which is created at the end of the gutter prayer. And it's basically this 
ever-changing living section of the city where like the architecture is this sort of weird mashup of so like, like dreams sort of that have sort of cascaded into uh, physical reality. So it's supposed to be sort of surreal and confusing and nonsensical and ever-changing. And I'd be sent in this blurb going, you know, here, this is what it looks like. It looks like nothing that could possibly exist. And <laughs> <laughs> here, here are some like, you know, images I've collected. There's like, you know, Gaudi's um, Cathedral in Spain and some computer-generated CGI art um, done by AIs, which is like, uh, yeah, go from that. And he did. He, come up, he basically took all that and created this place which could be an ever-changing fantastical city yeah exactly you just kind of messed your ideas together and then boom yeah. here comes you know perfection right um so tell, so go ahead and uh, i guess go ahead and tell us a little bit about the shadow saint what we can expect uh with it being the sequel to the gutter prayer uh your debut and kind of uh you know are we going to be expecting similar characters from book one. Uh, I mean, obviously are probably our main three are going to be mainstays throughout the series. Uh, Not kinda... much. Um, oh. No. Uh, <laughs> basically, basically um, the main character that book two follows is Carrie's cousin, Elodora, who was like, pretty much supporting cast yeah. in the first one. Um, what I'm hoping to do as series continues is basically alternate between uh, Carrie and Elodora as the sort of the main characters and then have sort of supporting point of views orbiting around them. So while most of the characters who were in book one will show up in book two, um, they don't get points of view to the same uh, as much. Um, it's mostly new points of view or like, who, are, who are minor characters in book one get elevated to full on protagonists in book two, other people step back. And then book three, similarly, will have, as Carrie as the main point of view and other people as um, secondary points of view. Um, basically, I want to sort of show the city from many, many different angles. Mm-hmm. And, well, Carrie gives us, has a sort of combination of basically both the sort of, like, you know, sort of street level stuff plus the visions, which is a very flexible narrative tool um book two tends to deal a lot more with the, sort of the politics and the um sort of the <laughs> the more aristocratic sections of the city um because eldora is involved in the upcoming election um or basically the city's parliament is holding election for the first time after the the crisis which was the events of the gutter prayer mm-hmm. um so the first part of the book has lots of political intriguing and um, conspiracies and so forth before everything starts exploding. <laughs> I gotcha. Okay. Hey, and, and, that sounds fantastic. There, there's nothing wrong with uh, you know, kind of kind of turning it on its head, bringing some characters that were kind of in the in the in the back back to the front, and then switching yeah. them back around again. I mean, that it, it kind of is a, is a refreshing uh, thing, I guess, to, not only to you as a writer, but to us as readers. Um, that you know there's probably several people who are like, man, I really wish she was, you know, more involved in book one. And now boom, there you go. She's in book two kind of front and center. Yeah. I also love basically showing a character you think, you know, from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, like I love it when books are, are take a series of events that you're, that you, you thought you understood and then like, undercut them all 
um, or basically explain stuff much later on so it all fits together. Like, um, there's several sections in um, Song of Ice and Fire where basically like, stuff, like several books on, explains scenes in the earlier books as they're open, particularly of the bit where like, in, early in book one in Song of Ice and Fire, you have um, also Arya overhearing a conversation between these two like mysterious people. Mm-hmm. And it turns out to be so like Varys and whoever the merchant guy is who's taking care taking care of Daenerys. Anyway, but you have like this what what in book one seems to be a relatively minor scene that's basically just like her exploring the castle and learning about it. like you know, there's some intrigue going on. Mm-hmm. Later on, you sort of see it from other angles and it is part of this far greater plot. I like basically sort of like narratives that only fully reveal themselves in retrospect from different, or only fully reveal themselves when seen from particular angles. I feel like I need to go back and listen to Gutterberg. Because <laughs> now, now I'm intrigued. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I miss in the first book that i got to find out in the second book? Well, the, the, whole, the whole point is basically you won't know what you missed in the first book until it's seen from different angles in the second book and so forth. Like right. There are some bits where we see I will re- go back and revisit a scene from a different angle or have so uh, have like you know stuff be revealed about characters that in retrospect may explain either explain the things or sheds new light on their motivations and so forth. Well see that's like uh I went back so I read a Game of Thrones I think twice this year. Um and one I just decided to do a buddy read so I listened to the book. I mean I, Roy Detrice is like one of the greatest narrators ever you know, rest in peace. But, uh, and I'm, I, I don't know who they're going to get for the next book whenever Martin decides to actually <laughs> release it. But um, going back through and then like rewatching like the first episode, the scene where they find the direwolf pups and they find the, the dead mother with the antler sticking through yeah. its neck, like just sets a precursor for the entire season that like yeah. – it didn't just didn't dawn on me for forever until I went back and, and, and did it. Just like the scene you're talking about, I know which one you're talking about. It's the one where they're kind of like in the in the depths with the, among all the dragon bones. And yeah, I think exactly. they're, ta- yeah. they're talking about something in regard to Ned, and I think it like yeah. is a precursor for his death towards the end of the of the season or yeah. the end of the book. Um, and yeah, I, I freaking love stuff like that because it's it's like one of those things like in with my experience of video games when you kind of go out and you just kind of search things instead of actually following the main quest and you just get to find like one thing that leads to something seven hours later in the game. Uh, and you're just like, Oh yeah, I'm glad I kind of found that. That makes sense now. You know? Um, but that, that sounds great. I, like I said, I, I definitely need to go back and, and go through the first book again, just so I could like literally go with a magnifying glass in a book too. And be like, all right, where's it at? You know, where, where's he hitting this gym? So, Oh man! Well, I can tell you one thing: we're we're super excited about it. Uh, I mean, I know several people who have been anticipating him, and I feel like you know, Orbit at least for the at least the past few years. I mean, I know they've been doing it since before I was reviewing, but I mean, they've been like the place to go to for science fiction and fantasy novels. Um, and debuts like yours just continuing to boost them uh, as like the premier uh, publishing uh, company for you know for Hashet. Uh, and yeah. for you know the, the big five, but um, so tell me, uh, outside of your books and outside of the 
the role playing uh, games that you that you write for the uh, or the, the manuals that you do. Uh, what it, have you been reading anything lately? Like anything that uh, you could recommend uh, that the audience should be reading that maybe they haven't. Um, let me think. I mean, like, I, I should have prepared this. Um, <laughs> stuff the audience. I would take out, uh, out a book of short stories um, called, what is it? Blind Boy's first round of stories. Um we we'll start sending out questionnaires and these kinds of things. <laughs> I guess the the, the the gospel according to Blind Boy in 15 short stories. Um, Blind Boy is this Irish filmmaker, podcaster, and um, hip-hop artist. I did this fantastic... It's a two-book short story. I haven't read, I haven't read the second one yet. But the first one is definitely... Worth taking a look at. It came out a few years ago. Um, he's like, he, I don't think he's sort of you know, made a huge splash outside Ireland, but it's mm-hmm. definitely worth taking a look at. And it's definitely very much unlike stuff you will see elsewhere. Okay. Yeah, I'm sitting there looking at it. Yeah, it, it doesn't it hasn't made it like obviously a huge splash in the U.S. Yeah. Uh, just based on like Amazon reviews, but. I mean, what it has gotten. I mean, it, it looks like it's fairly well reviewed. I mean, it's I think it's got like a four point two rating on uh, Goodreads of like seven hundred eighty ratings. Yeah. So uh, obviously, some people in the U.S. got to it and was like, "All right, this is great," kind of thing. So um, it sounds interesting. I'm, I'm sitting here reading the synopsis about it. Um, it's yeah, but, it, it, it is very very strange, but certainly unlike other things you will find elsewhere. Um, what else? I'm currently um in the middle of reading what's called Bone Shard, it's an, an Orbit debut that's coming out next year, which I'm supposed to blurb at some point. Oh, yeah, uh, Bone Shard Daughter, is that right? Yes, yeah, uh, I'm only like three chapters in, so it's good fun so far. Um, and plus, like, I, I, anything involving weird necromancy, I'm always more than happy to read. <laughs> Oh, well, have you read uh, Gideon the Ninth from Tor? Yes. Okay. Yes, uh, I uh, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Although I, 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 part of me wonders if, if it started out as, as like a 40k parody or something. <laughs> See, I, I did a buddy read on that one uh, with about I guess five or seven other bloggers, and we all had kind of the same inter- uh, reaction to the first like 40 to 50 percent of the book, um, where we're like. Are we like being punked right now? Like it, it feels like a completely different novel than the second half. Uh, and the second half is just like, it's, it's so good. You're ready for book two. But mm-hmm. I feel like if you didn't get through like the first, you know, a couple hundred pages, you're just kind of left out to the wayside now. Um, yeah. I, 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 I almost prefer the early section, which is just then sort of like, you know, mess here on, on, on like the, with the, and the ninth house and like, you know, start each other. And when the actual, like, you know, murder mystery-esque plot kicked off, was everyone, oh, yeah, I suppose they, had to, they, they do have to have a plot at some point. Right. But uh, I, I just really enjoyed this, with the, the wandering around, doing things with bones. Right, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, it's one of those things, like, you're kind of confused at the beginning, and then they finally get to, 
was it one house or first house or whatever? Yeah, and they actually they, started they go to, going they go, through they the go mansion. Work, basically. Yeah. And, and they kind of start going through the mansion and stuff starts to slowly unravel and they find this like giant creature. Uh, and I'm like, okay, I can kind of see where it's going. And then it really gets into the mystery. Um, but yeah, like I had, I had several people that we did the, the, the buddy read that just kind of gave up on it. And we had a few that were like, all right, just, just push through. You can do it. You know? And, uh, there's some books that are just like that. I mean, especially debuts, um, you know, you, you can kind of see where the wheels start finally turning and it just kind of continues to get better. Whereas you also have some where book one was so good and the wheels kind of fall off in book two, but then they come back in book three. Um, doesn't look that's happening with yours though, based on Patrick's review. So I'm, I'm, I, I'm excited. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I I was terrified when book two was coming out because I was convinced. I was like, you know, not convinced that basically that I'd sort of like that it was awful, but I didn't expect book one to do as well as it did by any means. I I, I, I didn't write the Gutter Prayer with the sort of the intent of it being published per se. Mm-hmm. I basically, I'm sorry, because my day job is writing as well. Right. And I've had, like, you know, literally hundreds of books published in, like, role play supplements. Um, the whole, like, you know, thrill of, like, you know, having your, your, your book out in the world and holding the physical artifact in your hand, that was a huge thing for me. Like, I, I've had lots of stuff published, and, like, I know I can, I can write and so forth. Um, which sounds horribly egotistical, which is utterly unlike me, but it's like, you know, <laughs> I, I figured that after like, you know, nearly 20 years working as a, as a, like a, a freelance writer, I have to be able to like string a couple of words together in a moderately entertaining fashion. Um, so I, I didn't like sort of sit down, like write the Good Affair for publication. I sort of wrote it because I wanted to write a novel mm-hmm. and was going to self-publish it. And then uh, as I was like looking for, basically see if it wanted to get a cover done. I sent it to an agent and he said, oh, I'll take it on. I went, okay, cool. And he got me the Orbit Orb deal. So thank you very much, John Gerald. Um, so then I was kind of terrified going, oh, hang on. Now I actually read the second one. And I can't just like, you know, randomly noodle around and like spend years best with it and like, you know, dropping it and start it again. I need to basically integrate this to my workflow and like, you know, hit the deadline. Um, so I was so worried that the sort of random alchemy-ness of the gutter prayer would be lost when I had to like, you know, sort of sit down and do it as a, as a job instead of just a bit of noodling. Right. Uh, so I was very happy to see the early reviews coming out. And now I'm in the middle of writing book three at the moment. And that I'm now having the same sort of existential doubt of, oh God, okay, books one and two or five, but obviously going to fall down hard on book three. <laughs> yeah, I see I, Go ahead. I, I assume at some point I will discover like some measure of confidence in this, but not yet, clearly. <laughs> maybe maybe once you get your first series done, you're like, all right, I think I can do this again. Let's let's oh, go. But, but no, but, but then you're, you're going, oh god, like you know, okay, I could do that series, but that's it. Like, you know, people, people like those uh, those that particular constellation of ideas. But I think you will crash and burn horribly. Oh no, I'm too done to <laughs> So are you are you planning on just doing three books? Is that is that what your deal was was for, or do you no. plan on ex, ex, extending past that? It was a two, it was a two book deal. Okay, uh, but they've they've uh, accepted a third one. 
I'm hoping to make it a five book series if everything comes together. Um, because that would be sort of a nice symmetry to it, because it can basically all between the two main characters and then have a final book which draws everything, everything together. Um, but nothing is signed yet. So basically, the third, the third book is um, contracted and will be out this time next year. So basically, like January 2021. 20, okay. Which is just absurd, because like, even 2020 is... There's a famous role-playing game which came out in the 80s called Cyberpunk 2020. Mm-hmm. So whenever anyone says 2020, I my brain instantly just puts Cyberpunk in front of it. <laughs> Uh, which was fine, like, you know, 10 or 20 years ago when 2020 was the state far off in the future. But now we're, like, nearly into it. It's just been very, very, it's going to be very, very strange. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we're coming to the end of a decade and starting the new (laughs) one, so everybody's doing their what have you done the past 10 years kind of thing, so. Uh, yeah, and we're, we're into the 20s again, so like I, I feel like we should all be like, you know, shooting shoot, 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 shoot the Tommy guns and having a giant recession and so forth. Right. The roaring 20s, no recession, we're all fine, we'll all, all be millionaires for yeah, a while. Yeah, you know, for a little bit, until <laughs> we, yeah. we hit another Great Depression, right? Yeah, it's fine. We'll just all be that dog in the house caught on fire and just drinking tea, you know, it's fine. Um, exactly. But, uh, well, cool. Well, anything else you want to cover uh, while I got you on? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I mean, beside the normal, like, author thing, like, buy my book, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please, please, please buy my books. Like, you know, my, children need, my children need wine and so forth. Uh, yep. Yeah, uh, Shadow Saint is out mm, very, very soon, but I'm just this probably now. Go to Prayer is out from all the bookshops and also – I suspect several dodgy websites. <laughs> um, if you're looking for my role-playing stuff, my uh, n- um, the uh, Pelican Press is the place to go for most of my stuff. Um, I, the Dracula dossier, I will talk about it for a long time. There's also the campaign Eyes of the Stone Thief and Nice Vacations Solo Ops just came out, which is a one-on-one role-playing game where basically you're a known spy. So Jason Jason Bourne versus Dracula is the normal tagline for that. And yeah, that's garhanrahan.wordpress.com is my website where I occasionally put stuff up. But you're better off finding me on Twitter as Mythholder. And I should probably have an easier name to remember, but I've used the Mythholder tag since like, you know, 1996 so <laughs> <laughs> nothing wrong with that nothing wrong at all so yeah guys so uh so kind of like he was saying so yeah gutter prayers out uh i think it's actually i don't know if it's like on perma quote-unquote sale on amazon i think it's like 4.99 it's been that way for for quite a bit at least for for debuts uh from orbit mm-hmm. this year um the what's sale in December? I'm not sure if the December sale is now finished or if i don't, I don't. The, 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 the fascinating thing in ireland so when I go to Amazon.com, I can't, I, I get get like redirected back to the UK site, so I can't tell the stuff is on sale directly. I, 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 it won't show me the actual, um, or I can't be sure it showed it show me the right uh, sale values. So it's like you know, have to ask friends when in the states like you know, just go to the other person. How much is it for you right now? That makes sense. Excellent. Right. Tweet, 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 tweet. <laughs> 
So yeah, so it uh, so it is four ninety nine on Amazon. Um, so good good deal savings there. Uh, paperbacks only ten ninety nine. So that's that's a great pretty great deal for a over five hundred page book. Um, and then like I said, uh, Shadow Saints out January seventh. Uh, and like I said, you could find him uh, on Twitter uh, at uh, it's M Y T H O L D E R Mytholder. And then like you said, uh, it's uh, garhanderhand.wordpress.com uh, if you want to find out that's a little bit more about yeah. him. What's that? At some point, I should, at some point, I should redo the grown-up thing and have like you know a actual like you know dot com again. Um, it's okay. I, I just did that what last year for my blog, and I've had it for almost four years now. So yeah, it is it is what it is, right? Um, it is. <laughs> well, Gareth, uh, again, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat with me uh, about your debut, about its sequel, um, about just all the gloriousness that comes with publishing. Uh, and with what people have apparently called the gutter prayer as a uh, weird fantasy. I think that's like the new genre that you may have created. I don't know if that yeah, no, you set, no, you set no, out no, to do no, that or no, not. There was the whole new weird that's China Meeville and, um, M. Harrison and people were talking about a while back or slipstream was the other thing that was going to be the big a while back. I don't know. We have weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, well, obviously we're all looking forward to it. I hope everybody listening in, uh, if you haven't taken a chance on the gutter prayer, please do. Uh, it definitely was one of the best debuts of 2019. And I recommend you go down to Amazon, spending some of your Christmas money and grabbing a copy. Um, but in the meantime, we'll be definitely looking for the shadow stain on January 7th and then for book three in January, 2021. And hopefully two more books in the series, because, uh, we could probably, you know, we'll never get enough of Gurdon. So um, thank you again, Gareth. Uh, I really appreciate it. And hopefully we can do this again soon. Definitely. Thank you very much. Right, thank you. For those of you who haven't had the opportunity to read the gutter prayer, stay tuned for a clip from the audiobook presented by Hashet Audio and read for you by John Banks. I hope you enjoy it. You stand on a rocky outcrop riddled with tunnels like the other hills and look over Gurdon. From here, you see the heart of the old city, its palaces and churches and towers reaching up like the hands of a man drowning, trying to break free of the warren of alleyways and hovels that surround them. Gurdon has always been a place in tension with itself, a city built atop its own previous incarnations, yet denying them, striving to hide its past mistakes and present a new face to the world. Ships throng the island-spangled harbour between two sheltering headlands, bringing traders and travellers from across the world. Some will settle here, melding into the eternal, essential Gurdon. Some will come not as travellers, but as refugees. You stand as testament to the freedom that Gurdon offers, freedom to worship, freedom from tyranny and hatred. Oh, this freedom is conditional, uncertain, the city has in its time chosen tyrants and fanatics and monsters to rule it, and you have been part of that too. But the sheer weight of the city, its history and its myriad peoples, always ensure that it slouches back eventually into comfortable corruption, where anything is permissible, if you've got money. Some will come as conquerors, drawn by that wealth. You were born in such a conflict, the spoils of a victory. Sometimes the conquerors stay and are slowly absorbed into the city's culture. Sometimes they raise what they can and move on, and Gurdon grows again from the ashes and rubble, incorporating the scar tissue into the living city. You are aware of all this, as well as certain other things, 
but you cannot articulate how. You know, for example, that two Taloman guards patrol your western side, moving with the unearthly speed and grace of their kind. The dancing flames inside their heads illuminate a row of carvings on your flank, faces of long-dead judges and politicians immortalized in stone, while their mortal remains have long since gone down the corpse shafts. The Talomen jitter by and turn right down Mercy Street, passing the arch of your front door beneath the bell tower. You are aware, too, of another patrol coming up behind you. And in that gap, in the shadows, three thieves creep up on you. The first darts out of the mouth of an alleyway and scales your outer wall. Ragged hands find purchase in the cracks of your crumbling western side with inhuman quickness. He scampers across the low roof, hiding behind gargoyles and statues when the second group of Talamon pass by. Even if they'd looked up with their flickering, fiery eyes, they'd have seen nothing amiss. Something in the flames of the Talamon should disquiet you, but you are incapable of that or any other emotion. The ghoul boy comes to a small door, used only by workmen cleaning the lead tiles of the roof. You know, again, you don't know how you know, that this door is unlocked, that the guard who should have locked it was bribed to neglect that part of his duties tonight. The ghoul boy tries the door, and it opens silently. Yellow-brown teeth gleam in the moonlight. Back to the edge of the roof. He checks for the telltale light of the Talerman on the street, then drops a rope down. Another thief emerges from the same alleyway and climbs. The ghoul hauls up the rope, grabs her hand, and pulls her out of sight in the brief gap between patrols. As she touches your walls, you know her to be a stranger to the city, a nomad girl, a runaway. You have not seen her before, but a flash of anger runs through you at her touch as you share impossibly in her emotion. You have never felt this or anything else before and wonder at it. Her hatred is not directed at you, but at the man who compels her to be here tonight. But you still marvel at it as the feeling travels the length of your roof ridge. The girl is familiar. The girl is important. I hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Gareth Prater Handerhan about his debut, The Gutter Prayer, uh, as well as the upcoming sequel, the Shadow Saint coming out January 7th. Uh, we won't actually be recording a new episode until the new year, but I'll be talking alongside my co-blogger David Schaefer with author Evan Winner. He wrote The Rage of Dragons, uh, which was published in 2019 from Orbit. We'll also be talking about his upcoming sequel, The Fires of Vengeance, which comes out in 2020. And I'm also on January 11th, I'll be talking with author CJ Tudor about her books, The Chalk Man, The Hiding Place, in the upcoming release in January called The Other People. So uh, guys, continue to uh, let me know what you think, uh, and we'll continue to be pushing out episodes and giving you guys some content that I hope you'll enjoy. Um, and again, thank you guys for listening. <music>